Welcome back to the Universal Wrestling Podcast. His name is Chris Dunn. My name is Nick Dieterding. We have a very special guest on the program. Scott Garland, a.k.a. Scotty Tuhati. Scott, thank you for coming on. How are you, sir? I'm doing good, man. Thanks. How are you? Yeah, doing great. Doing great, Chris. We've discussed this off air. We're trying to push this awareness for this uh, for uh, for the LLS. And it's uh, really important for us. And it's really nice to talk to, you know, guys like you, Scott, guys like Adam Cole, guys like Jeff Jarrett. But it's more important to make awareness uh, for this amazing cause. Let's get to it. Chris, you want to say anything before we start? Yeah, you know, we've been talking about this the last couple of weeks. Uh, we're in the home stretch of this uh, donation drive. So, um, you know, Leukemia Lymphoma Society, they've done, you know, I talked about the impact uh, that, you know, cancer had on and my family and like my experience at WWE, uh, you know, being in, <laughs> being on the Raw Raider team when Roman announced uh hit when it came back and we had adam cole kind of talk about how it hit his family in a recent episode too so you know this organization they do such great work where you know it's not just leukemia lymphoma is the name they have helped so many different kind of blood cancers and made lives better for patients their families and wherever you can donate whether it's you know a you know, $10, $5, a dollar, every little bit helps. And uh, it goes to an amazing cause. So please uh, click on the link. Even if you can't donate, read about the organization. They do amazing work. Sounds good, man. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, you guys worked with each other for a little, right? Yeah. We did, yeah. yeah. Let's hear about that. So here's the embarrass here's the embarrassing part, Chris, is I didn't even know you weren't there anymore. <laughs> so, so 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 when the when the whole the whole COVID thing happened, things got really crazy. And like, you know, there were of course there were a lot of cuts and and uh, a lot of people started working from home and you didn't know who was still with the company, who wasn't, and you know, time just went by and I just realized recently that you must not be there anymore. Like I thought you were still still there yeah it, it was um i uh you know the covid thing played a big role like i right before uh the pandemic happened i got uh, approval to move to la so um i was you know living out here and then uh that happened and you know to your point with the covid stuff like we started going to skeleton cruise. Like I was, the list was like so small. It happened. Um, I don't think this was mania. I think so. I think it was Austin three sixteen day was like the first raw um, pandemic. And like, I wasn't even scheduled to go to it. Uh, Cause like we were going like that few people. No, this um, was at the PC at that. By yeah. This time. Yeah. First PC raw. Uh, they had done a SmackDown before it. And yeah, it was like wild. Like it was like a handful of people, and like we were, like sometimes doing double tapings. Like I, I was also doing all the offsites, which had like at the time include like the Viking Raiders and the Street Profit offsites, and 
you know, I was flying cross country during COVID like every week. And like, I really started getting worn down. And even like, even when things came back, it kind of like, it was such a big thing where, you know, I, I moved to LA to kind of try to get into other parts of entertainment. And I was like, you know, I have to kind of go all in on this if it's going to happen. Right. Um, right. And it was very tough to leave. Like I, I grew up loving wrestling. And like, I, I also had like talked to uh, Dave about potentially instead of doing raw or SmackDown, uh, just flying to Orlando every week for NXT. Cause like NXT was always, you know, like, I mean, you were there, like you obviously know better than most, like what a special time that was working at NXT. Right. right. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I, that's what I keep saying. It's, 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 it was such a special time. It was such a special place and such a special atmosphere. And, 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 you know, I keep saying, I've said it a million times, the whole We Are NXT, the hashtag We Are NXT thing wasn't just some marketing thing that somebody made up and it fit. It was a real thing. You know, I think anybody who was part of NXT was proud to be part of it. And like that we, you know, we are NXT and we're going to come into SummerSlam weekend. We're going to come into WrestleMania weekend and we're going to steal the show, you know. Um, and that's what we did. And, and you know, there, there was a real pride there from, from you guys all the way up through to, to Hunter, I think, you know? Yeah, it was, it was really special. And like, I, when they, you know, structurally like the, you know, the writing team kind of broke up a little, broke into different sections when it, even though like I, you know, the writing team would like send a group down to NXT once a month when, you know, you're canning uh, four episodes of taping. Right. When NXT went live and SmackDown moved to Fridays, the writing team kind of changed. And mainly, you know, for our listeners that don't know, like, you know, to s- it's very expensive, a lot of travel and a lot of different things with this show because this is a massive TV production. When Raw and SmackDown were Monday, Tuesday, that made it really easy for the writers to go from Raw to SmackDown. And then for the writers that were NXT writers to go from SmackDown to NXT. Having, like, the schedule just kind of blew up in a way. So myself, I was saying on the last episode, like, myself and another writer, um, we went and we tried to get it approved where we would go from Raw or SmackDown, whichever show we were on, to NXT still and still be a part of the team. And like they they would not approve it, unfortunately, which huh. was a massive, massive bummer. And we totally understood it. Um, they want they want specific teams focusing on specific shows. Right. Um, but then like I was like, what I I I came back at the end of my time there for the last like three or four months I was flying. Um, I was going to NXT every week um, kind of as they started doing these like consultant roles. Uh, and I was like the, the SmackDown consultant for NXT. And it was like, it made me miss it even more. And it kind of motivated me to kind of try to like, well, if this can't be like full time, like I need to find something else that like brings this joy out of me. Right. 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 That makes sense. You know, yeah. it's, it's- Sounds similar to my story, you know, where I was just uh, same as you, dude. Like uh, I grew up WWF fan living in New England, you know, everything was WWF. We didn't even have like NWA or WCW until later, later when I was older, you know. So since I was 10 years old, all I ever wanted to do was be part of the WWF, you know, and then I, I, you know, signed there in 97 and I started as an extra in 91 and then. Signed in 97 and then Scotty Too Hottie thing took off in 99 and then 
you know, left, left in 2007 as talent came back as a coach in 2016 and was there for another, you know, almost six years, I think. Um, and it was, you know, it was, it was great, but it, I was kind of the same way. I think where I just, something felt off, something didn't feel, feel right. And, uh, you know, maybe I, I keep saying like a, a little, a little was on me, a little was on them, a little was a combination. A lot of it might've been midlife crisis, you know, <laughs> I don't know, but I saw, I just, I, I uh, you know, I saw guys outside of WWE kind of doing what I loved about pro wrestling. You know, I saw Matt Cardona killing it on the independent scene with basically just using his social media as his machine, you know, and that's what I keep telling guys when I do these seminars is you don't need a AEW or a WWE machine behind you as much as you used to have to, you know, you see guys like, um, Dan Housen. I still haven't even seen the guy wrestle, and I just met him at WrestleCon for the first time. You know, I have, I have a friend of mine who's in Vegas, who's in the entertainment world, uh, not not pro wrestling, and he's sending me Dan Housen videos, going, "What's the deal on this guy?" You know, and I was I was literally at NXT TV when I when I got the first Dan Housen video from my buddy in Vegas, <laughs> and I think that says a lot. You know, these people are reaching out outside of the wrestling world using their social media and uh, i just saw an opportunity that i thought uh, i could still do something and and uh, i took a chance i kept saying i had no i had no solid plan b you know when i left plan a it just uh, i had to take a chance i had to do it and uh, you know it's been great yeah i i i totally get that it's like it's were you were you scared when you left because i was I was terrified for when I left. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you're walking. You so, and I knew, like, I'm walking away from a a, a direct deposit into my bank account every Monday morning to, yeah. to go back to gig life. Basically, you know, being an independent wrestler, you're it's gig life, you know. And you might, you know, you might have 30 dates in May, but then in July, you have nothing on the books yet, you know. So it's that, and you know, and you just, you know, usually something pops up, but it's that. It's, a, it's that stress and it's that it's scary. The unknown is scary. Right. So, yeah. Um, but I just, I just felt like, you know, I just can't do this anymore. Just so much had changed there. And I wasn't, I wasn't happy. Uh, you know, I'd be driving to the, the performance center and I just wasn't my stomach would be in knots. And I was like, I, I need to change something. Yeah. You know, I've always told my kids that you have to, find something that you love doing and do that for work. And, and that's what I had done for so many years. Um, and I just felt like I had done everything, you know, and as you know, like a lot of changes were happening there with NXT and the restructuring and the rebranding. And they kind of took this, you know, they kind of took my kid that I love so much and just like sent him off to live with somebody else. <laughs> and, and here's another kid that like, you know, and, uh, so it was, it was, it was, it was bizarre. And it was just, you know, a lot of new rules going on and, you know, they want, they want it taught this way and you can't do this and you can't do that. And to me, dude, like pro wrestling is art. Like, and I, I'll say this in my seminars all the time, like there, there's no right or wrong way to do this. I might not agree with something. Um, it might not be my thing, you know, getting hit with light tubes. Is not my thing? Diving off 30 foot balconies? Is not my thing? But if it sells tickets and you can get a, a, an audience to come watch you do that, there's there's obviously something to it. But it doesn't mean I have to agree with it, you know. So and that's what pro wrestling is to me. There's there's millions of different ways to do it, and uh, 
it just felt like they wanted everything done the exact same way. And uh, yeah, it's it's interesting. And like side note too, like if you are an independent wrestler or you're interested in getting into wrestling, like uh, I can attest, like I've I've never taken one of Scott's seminars, but as when I was starting out at NXT, you know, I worked on some segments with Scott, and like I learned a ton. Especially like we had this sanity segment that I just was so green with and Scott just helped get me through in such a big way. And like, um, yeah, if you want to learn about professional wrestling, like Scott is like such a valuable, valuable resource. So definitely um, if you can take one of the seminars, please do. Thanks, man. It's funny because before I went back as a coach, uh, I really didn't enjoy doing the seminars. It would be all in ring. And, and I didn't, I was, I'm basically a backyard guy who, who, who made it, you know, like uh, I, I had no real proper training. So it was very intimidating to go back as a coach. And, and, you know, when I used to do these seminars in ring and then now, now that I've, I've left and I'm on the other side of it, I just talk for two hours and I make it a conversation. And, and I, and I'll say it like, I don't even like the word seminar because I want it to be more of a conversation than a yeah. seminar. Um, and I want everybody to chime in and, you know, don't be afraid to cut me off and add what you think. And like, let's, I don't want it ever to be, okay, this is how I'm going to do this A to Z. And I do the same thing everywhere I go. I want to, I'll, I'll kind of tell my story for the first 10 minutes and then I'll, I'll go, all right, you give me a question and I'll get the first question and it gets the ball rolling and, and then it, it just kind of snowballs into its own, own seminar. So it's, it's never the same thing twice, hopefully. Um, but no, I, I really do enjoy enjoy doing them. Yeah, when you were um, a uh, oh, go ahead, Chris. Oh no, please. When you were Scott, when you were a trainer with uh, the WWE, did you do seminars like that, similar to what you're doing now? No, I, I just I just worked for WWE. But a lot of the advice and and you know the, the talks that I give these you know people that come into the seminars, the same the same things. Cool. That I would, you know, and I always hit home the same points in all the seminars, but I don't want to want to ever say it the same way. And I don't want want to ever just to be a, feel like it's written out. And, I'm, you know, so I, but I do hit home the same things, you know, characters, storylines, create moments. I think moves are just moves. Moves are fun to watch, but there's no unless you have a connection with an audience, you have nothing. You know, whether it's rock, you know, a concert, a wrestling, a comedy whatever it is, you need that connection with the audience. And, and I think that's in any form of entertainment, unless you have that connection. Um, and it took me a long time to learn that, you know, when I was young, I was taking private gymnastics lessons to learn how to do moonsaults, you know, up the top rope, because I thought that was going to be my ticket, you know, yeah. which was silly because at the time you had the, um, you know, all the, 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 the cruiserweight thing um, happening at WCW and those guys were doing stuff that, you know, I could never do. So like, I don't know what I was thinking, but you know, <laughs> then I, as, as time went on and you, you know, you, you learn like, wow, like I have this connection that I don't even know how I created this connection, but there's something to this. And it just, you, you, something you learn over time, I think. So it's hard to teach. And, and, and I'll say this in the seminars, like I, you know, you a, a lot, today you guys are probably look at me like I'm this crazy old man, but I'm hoping like 10 years from now, you roll up driving down the road and you go, oh, I get it now. This is what he was talking about. You well, know, that's the thing too. Like, and you know, I brought this up on our episode we did with Jeff Jarrett, like the important importance of like throwing punches. Yes. Um, which is like really like, you know, from being, you know, from being there at WWE, like I have seen, 
a lot of pushes go away because a person can't, doesn't have the right working punch. Yeah. Um, you know, one thing I think like you guys at NXT were really excellent with was a lot of times you, you know, NXT would sign these independent wrestlers and they would come in and they're moving fast, 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 fast. They're doing all these impressive, impressive moves that like, oh man, like I could never do that. Or like, it looks like a video game character, but like they don't right. slow down. Right. And right. I guess like a question based on that, like what, do you, what is the importance of slowing down? So this is my, whether you go back to the 1950s and Gorgeous George and whenever Gorgeous George was around, I don't even know if it was 40s, 50s, 30s, <laughs> but I know who he is. I've never seen him wrestle, but I know who he is because he yeah. was this larger than life character, right? So he's kind of this, this legendary figure now in, in wrestling, right? Or you go to, you know, the Hogan era, which is what I grew up on in the 80s or in the Attitude Era. It was all based around characters, you know? Um and the styles have changed over time, but something that hasn't changed is the way that a crowd reacts. So if they cheer, the cheer is still exactly the same length as it was before. They're going to cheer. You have to, or they're going to boo. And that's what you're working for is those reactions, right? So if you, if you go boom, 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 right? And you hit, you know, you do a bunch of things. You haven't given that guy or girl time to, to, to react to the first cool thing you did. You just stepped on your own work, you know? So you try to explain it like that, like, whereas you have to bring it up and bring it down and you have to almost build in those moments where they can react. And I think that's one of the things that's, that's kind of been lost now is people step on their own stuff. Say all the time, this is the most athletic and the most, the most spectacular moves we've ever seen in the history of wrestling. These guys are doing crazy stuff that the human, we didn't even know the human body could do. And when I was a kid, you know, and watching and, and uh, so now they're doing all these spectacular things, but they're going so fast that they don't give the audience a chance to react to them. So, and that's a hard thing to teach because silence is scary. So if you're just standing there and praying, it's scary. So you feel like oh, I have to do something, you know, and we all went through it. I can remember the old guys telling me, I got to slow down. You're going too fast. And, but they didn't explain, they didn't explain what they meant, you know, and up until, you know, later, once I figured out what they meant, it, then it made sense. You know, it's not, it's not the, the pace that I'm hitting the ropes at, you know, I don't need to slow down the way I'm running into the ropes. It's, you have to slow down the pace of the match so that you give the audience a chance to react to what you're doing. And, and, and you, you know, more than ever, you have to spoon feed your story to them, you know, but, and I'll say like, it's one obstacle that you guys have now that I didn't have before, you know, before in my day, you have to, you know, so back in my day, sound like yeah. the old guy, you know, you have the fan that they're sitting there in the audience and they're drinking and they're eating their popcorn. They're talking to their friend, but now we're intentionally driving them to their phones going, Hey, Lakeland, make sure you're, you're using the hashtag NXT hashtag NXT Lakeland tonight. So we're driving them to their phones during the show. Right. So and whether we're driving them to their phones or not, they're still on their phones. They want to they want to take pictures. They want to post it. So while you're trying to tell your story to them, you're doing this now. So you really have to more than ever, I think, spoon feed, spoon feed, spoon feed that your story of your match to that audience, you know, um, 
and then, you know, that's one of those things I think they might not understand right now, but down the road, they go, oh, okay, get it. Like, you know, slow, slow it down and really spoon feed it all to them. Like, otherwise it's just moves. And I'll say, and I'll say like, I love to watch all these cool moves. Um, but I also love to watch, you know, people, guys falling off their skateboards on YouTube for, <laughs> for, that, for a minute. I turn it off, you know, um, and, you know, the moves are great, but you have to have that connection. And you can go through the list of all of the top guys in the history of what we've done, right? And it's, they weren't guys who did real impressive moves. Hogan, Austin, Rock, you know, like Cena. Like, they weren't Undertaker. They weren't, Undertaker would break up the big dive at WrestleMania, but most of the time you didn't see that from him, you know? Yeah, like, oh, I'm sorry to interrupt, but like, yeah, like, I think, like, you know, from what not having seen this match before read like hogan you know hogan has had like a five-star match in japan at the time he could do it but that's mm-hmm. not like what it's not necessarily like what always works and i think too it's like when you're watching a movie or like or a tv show like you know if some the pacing of something is like just so that you can't keep up with it yes. like it's one thing if something's like a a five-minute match yeah. If you're trying to do like if you're trying to do a big money main event match that's 20 minutes, sometimes 30 minutes, like it's it's a is a lot. It's also like not good on the performer's health. Right, right. And that's the big thing. Yeah. It's, you, you, and that's hard to hammer home when they're 20 years old. Because they can't they can't even think about being 40 or be, you know, even being 30 at 20. You know, and that's 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 one of the things that I fear. I see a lot of these guys doing these dives now. Um, uh, and they seem to be getting higher and higher off these balconies and ledges and, and like, you know, you, 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 everything we do, you're, you're, you're already dealing in, you know, inches of, you know, being in a wheelchair or being, being, you know, dead, you know, like, so it's, it's once you get higher and higher, the risk gets higher and higher. And it, you know, that, that does scare me. And as a guy with, you know, I have three screws and a steel plate in my neck, I've had low back surgery and I didn't do hardly any of that stuff you know I was, I was taking you know pile drivers from perry saturn through tables way back when i first started out you know this is before ecw even but um and i look back on that and go, god that was stupid to do you know because you're so out of control of what the, the result could be you know when you take into account like going through it going through a table and how's the table break and yeah. You know, and then you think, oh, we did, we just did that for a hundred people, you know? Yeah. <laughs> but at the time I get it, you know, and I, and I, and this is what I'll say to these, these kids. And I'm like, I am you guys. I was 15 years old when I started this, I was 150 pounds. I was trying to get noticed. And like, I know that's what they're trying to do now. They're trying to get noticed and they're trying to get on the map and, and they, they do get reactions. So that's what I call um, the mind. I used to say, I don't know if I say the F word on here, but I say yeah. the, the mind fuck, right? Right? Because you have all these old guys telling you, slow down, slow down, slow down. But then they go out there and they go fast and they do this, this spectacular stuff and they're getting reactions from it. You know, so it is a bit of a, who's right? The crowd's giving me reactions, but the old guy's telling me to slow down and not do so much. So it's, is the old guy just trying to hold me back because he can't do it? Like, and that's how I used to think, you know, he's just telling me that because he can't do it. And he doesn't want me to yeah. try it, you know, but there is some truth to it, you know? Yeah. It's, it's, it just, it, it's such a, an interesting process. Cause like, like once you, I, I've heard, 
I've heard workers say who are kind of like, you know, on the veteran side, like once you are able to slow down and hear it, you like a moment happens where you, the you know, the switch flips and like you yeah. understand what slowing down and pacing is and what that means and what a tool is and how it saves on your body. Yeah. And, and it's, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's part of the art of this, you know, and I think I'm right now being out there um, and doing this again, I feel like I'm the best performer that I've ever been because I'm older, I'm smarter. I know what works. I know what doesn't work. I'm not afraid to try stuff. I'll try stuff. I'm still coming up with new stuff now that I I've never done before. And I go, and I'll be like, I know there's something to this and I don't, it's kind of like, you know, and I relate it to the worm. When I first started doing the worm, it wasn't the whole production of the W O R M and the who, who, who it was. I just hit the ropes and I dropped down and I wormed across and would drop an elbow or something onto, you know, whoever I was working with, but I was getting a reaction off just doing the worm. So I knew I had something and, you know, it's, it's, that, that's why I tell you, just throw stuff against the wall. Don't be afraid, afraid to try stuff because you never know what's going to work in this. You know, I'm pretty sure Rikishi didn't know the stink face was going to work. Rock didn't know <laughs> the people's elbow was going to become what it was. The people's eyebrow was going to become what it was. The worm was going to become what it was over, over time. Um, and you just throw stuff against the wall. And probably the first time you throw it against the wall isn't going to be exactly what the end result is. But you, you'll, like I said, you, you whittle away at it and you, 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 you find another tool to put in your back pocket and you can break out if you need it, you know. Um, one thing that popped my mind as you're we talking was like, uh, actually two things. But first, um, I wasn't surprised when you left too. Just there was a... I don't know if you remember this, but there was a moment where it was kind of the end of it was right before the, the brand extension and NXT going live. And I, there was a coconut loop. And I think like the the lead writer made a joke. It's like, I, I thought about put to, to you. I thought about putting uh, I thought about putting you on it this weekend and your yeah. eyes lit up. It's like, oh, yeah. I can go like, like, and yeah. like <laughs> I could see seeing that excitement, like a like the outside world, and like you know, getting back in the ring and stuff. I I was like, oh man, I could see Scotty eventually, like just going and doing this. Yeah, I, you know, I, I would have loved to have done something. You know, not on a. I, I think I've been a good nostalgia thing to throw in there once in a while, or throw me in there with Otis and do a double worm on the, on coconut <laughs> show, on the, on NXT the road shows. You know. Uh, I felt like I could have lent more or even let me go in there, work a five minute match with somebody and teach them about slowing down. You know, that's something that's missing today is just older guys too slow there. Cause unless you're in there with somebody who gets it, it's hard to slow that pace down unless you have somebody telling you, okay, slow down, wait here. Okay. React here and kind of in directing you and leading you through it. You know? So I felt I could have been a, 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 a more valuable role doing some of that but I, I don't know man like you know and then if you know just finally leaving was it was a lot it was just a lot of different things you know yeah. it, was, it was it was all the cuts it was I mean, you know everybody in that company was walking on eggshells everybody from the i mean i think we've seen it from the top all the way down you know uh who's safe who's not safe it's like no nobody nobody was safe nobody knew what was going on um and then it was just i saw you know, I'm, I'm, I'll be 49 in July uh, this year. Um, 
but I saw guys like Edge and Christian and Jericho, Matt Hardy, Jeff Hardy. Those are all guys that are right around my age out there still doing it and doing it well. And I go, man, like if I'm going to do this, I need to do it now. You know, I just felt like it was the right time. It felt like the Indies were hot. Um, you know, there was another company on the horizon for the first time in what, 20 years that was like a legit company and doing something. And, you know, I was watching, you know, their shows and seeing that their crowd reactions was what um, turned me on the most about them. You know, whatever's going on in the ring, there can be changes or, or not change or whatever, but watching that crowd, that's what I feed off. And that's when I watch something, I don't really, I can tell you something's good or bad just by watching the crowd. That's all that matters. That's the paying yeah. customer, right? Um, so it doesn't matter if the guys are entertained or if the people in the ring are entertained. It should be like, how is that crowd reacting to yeah. what's going on? And I saw, you know, independence, AEW, I saw crowds reacting like the way that I remember. Like, and even now, dude, I go, I go to Liverpool. I go, I've been to uh, 2,000 people in Dublin about a month or so ago um, for OTT. And these crowds are like attitude era crowds. Like, so why aren't we seeing that on Raw? I watched the main event on Raw last night and nothing against everybody's working so hard, maybe too hard at times. But why are these people sitting down and you can literally see people on their phones, you know, and like they're checking out. Like, so I don't understand if there's a lack of a connection. I don't, I don't know. I, you know, I can't tell you what it is, but. Yeah, I think like. You know, with that main event last night, I think everyone is connected to those guys in that ring. But I also, I always feel that, like, and you see the ratings kind of dictate this, like, three hours is a very long time for a wrestling show. It's um, a long time for anything. Yeah. I mean, like, that's, that's like an Avengers movie with commercials. Yeah. Um, yeah, and every like, yeah, every week. It's 52 weeks. And, like, I think, you know, you're kind of dealing with something of, like, you know, commerce first art of, you know, I think if, I think if the company had their druthers, like every show would be 90 minutes. I think like part of that Perfect. is they've, I think, you know, I've, I have, I haven't heard the top people say that, but I've heard people who deal with the top people say that. And I think a part of that becomes like Saturday night's main event was 90 minutes. Always yeah. felt like a good show. Always felt like an event. That being said, like, you know, Raw is keeping the USA network afloat. Like right. they are always going to be a top five or 10 network because yeah. of Raw. Um, I'm I'm sure that they will be aggressive when the rights deal comes up to keep it because essentially, like they're on borrowed, they're on borrowed time without WWE. Um, so that they want three hours so they can stay in the top 10, stay in the top five of cable networks. And and they they pay for such like this is like i think you know like a, a wwe has three deals worth a billion dollars each for a reason um and it's hard like and you know as much as like it makes it may make raw feel longer at times like you know more and obviously there were cuts recently but like when you have companies like U usa and fox paying this money and peacock mm -hmm. It creates more jobs, right? Uh, more jobs in ring for you know performers, more jobs behind the scenes, and you know it's so it's good in that way. So it's kind of like a you're damned if you do, damned if you don't element. And I get that, you know. And I, I guess it's um, 
I miss the, uh, you know, t- take out the financial part of it. And it's, it's the, the, the art of it. You know, I've learned like I've learned on this run over the last four months or so, just how much I love the art of what we do. Yeah. When it's done well, uh, it's the best thing. It's the best thing. You know, we talk about, you know, creating moments and putting smiles on faces and that's the art of what we do. You know, um, it's funny you said about the 90 minute thing, Chris, because I've been thinking about, uh, you know, as I'm back out on the independent scene again, I'm seeing stuff I like, I don't like the stuff I hate. Um, and I do this so differently. And I, I, I've honestly thought about running my own live events with no intention of live stream, no intention of television. It's a 90 minute show with no intermission and you have to be there to see it. You don't know who's going to show up. Um, and it's, I'm thinking five matches, six matches at the most, but like you said, 90 minutes. Yeah. And it's all, what I would want to do is a self-contained live event show where you didn't have to be there the, the, the month before to see what happened. It's, your main event angle starts in the first half of the show and it, it ends at the, in the main event. And then the next show, you could have a totally different crew there. Um, and the same thing. And I, and I think, I feel like there's something to that. And, and there's just a lot of stuff that I see out there. Like, man, like in 2022, it feels like independent wrestling could be done better. And we're only doing some things because we've always done them this way and it's become the norm. And uh, you know, a perfect example of what I'm talking about is the, the pre-show meet and greet. I hate the pre-show meet and greet because it kills all of this star value of whether the person is a star or not but but after sitting at a table for an hour two hours collecting money selling pictures and their merchandise you know even if you have a diehard fan and they're the first one to come in they come right to your table they buy your merchandise now they go to their seat they sit there and they watch you for an hour or two hours just become a little less of a star and you're just a normal person. They see you on your phone and they see you eating or drinking. And now you're just a normal. And I think that's something that WWE teaches you is, and you know, people always make fun of, you know, you're a WWE superstar. You're not just a pro wrestler, you know, and, and that's for a reason because we are just normal people, but you want to be perceived as a superstar and something special. You know, there's no other form of entertainment that I can think of. Um, even if it's a D-list band who had a one, uh, had a one hit in the '80s, they don't do their meet and greet before the show. They come out on stage, look like stars, and then they may do their meet and greet after. Um, same thing with comedians, you know, that they'll do their meet and greets after their performance. You know, yeah. when you everybody looks like a star um, after the performance, but this, you know, in independent wrestling, it's just everybody out there selling their stuff for an hour or two hours and their, their, their star value just dwindles away in that time, you know? Um, and also too, I think you made a really good point about like, you know, how the internet has kind of changed it. And like you brought, you know, Matt Cardona, like the stuff that he's been doing with like Mickey James and Chelsea green on, (laughs) on Twitter, like that story has been going every day. And like, That whole group, like, you know, Mickey's always been phenomenal. I'm glad she's having this great run. Chelsea, I felt, was, like, really underutilized. Uh, unfortunately, just kind of how everything broke at WWE. And, like, right. you know, um, I'm glad that their personalities are coming out and they're going to, like, really shine in this way. And, like, you know, this story, like, they're they're just making it happen in such a great way. Yeah, so it's great. And, you know, it's all through social media. 
no, no, there isn't a machine behind them. There's no promoter behind them. Uh, we are our own promoters now. And I, you know, I try to be smart with my social media and try to promote myself to look valuable and look like a star and, and, uh, you know, use it to my, to my advantage to, uh, to, to help my, my worth and my value, you know, and, and I feel like it's worked pretty well. You know, I just had yeah. my first, I just had my first weekend off this past weekend, uh, since I started back this year. Um, and that was to go to my girlfriend's brother's wedding in Washington, DC. So I wasn't even home, you know, and I leave this Friday for, um, Washington state. And then, uh, Nick, the following weekend is in uh, Northern California. But the cool thing is I'm at a point in my life where my kids are old enough, you know, my girlfriend's busy with work and school. And, and, uh, so instead of me flying across the country from Orlando to Washington state, flying home and then flying back out to, uh, Northern California, you know, five days later, I am, uh, I said, like, where, where could I go that I've never been? So I looked at Alaska and Alaska was like $200 round trip ticket. So I'm going to go to Alaska for four days and uh, do something I've never done. So it's, it's, awesome. it's a pretty cool place, you know? Um, you know we, we talked a lot about the independent scene and the independent circuit. What are some of the matchups you're looking forward to, uh, looking forward to? Honestly, anybody that I worked with at NXT is okay. super cool. It's super cool for me to, to, to be in a ring. I just did a show with Eric Young. Uh, oh, nice. Mm. Last weekend, I did a show with uh, Killian Dane the night before. Um, it was crazy. I had breakfast with Killian uh, in the morning in, in Scotland, got on a plane, flew to Ireland, and saw Eric Young in Ireland. So uh, two, two different members of Sanity on the same yeah. day in two different countries. Um, Connor, Connor Reeves, dude, like, I'm going, how is Connor Reeves not wrestling somewhere? You have a six foot, was he six foot four, Chris, something yeah. like that? Six foot three, six foot four, Hawaiian kid who gets it. He's so good. He spent seven years in development, did everything right, got his body in shape. Good looking kid, good kid. Um, Very punchable heel. Like, he is yeah. like the, like, yes. it feels like, like, I, I always thought there was a way to utilize him. And like, I think, you know, at the end of the day, like I, I, and this might be messed up to say, but there is like, we kind of talked about this on another project. Like what is somebody's floor? Right. And like, whether they kind of go to a higher level, like, you know, it's another thing. Like, you know, you look at somebody like Edge, like Edge and Christian, like they were doing like the comedy stuff for a while. If that was their floor and that's all they did and then like raise up to the Hall of Fame levels they reached, yeah. that's a very valuable thing on a two or three hour show. Right. Um, I always felt Kona had like this thing where he could, you could have him come into a backstage as a, you know, pot stirrer, like always can kind of, worst case scenario, he is an annoying heel that can get his comeuppance and like make a make card baby face as you build them. Um, yeah. yeah. He's, he's incredibly talented. He should be on a roster. Yeah. 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 You know, and another thing, I think a guy like him, he was just missing a, a confidence that you need. Yeah. You know, and I use it with Rhea Ripley all the time. Like Rhea, when she came into my class and Raquel, same thing, those two ladies came into my class and the one thing they got in that class was confidence. I had them in there with Ricochet and Leo Rush and Fabian Marcel. Those guys were in my class at the time. So I had those two ladies work with those guys 
where they could lay their stuff in, not worry about hurting them, and just listen to these guys who are phenomenal in the ring and lead them. And they 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 got some sort of confidence that changed the both of them. Um, they weren't the same. They, it just, and it's hard to explain. Once you get that, con- I, I remember getting it uh, when we started the Too Cool thing. You know, I, I got a confidence that I never had before. Um, and you just almost, you almost, you, you become, it's different. It's hard to explain, right? Like, you, and you'll see it happen. Um, and I think you see, you know, you can go back and look at it with the greats, you know, Rocky, when he first came in, when he became a Rocky, had a different confidence in Austin. And, you know, you go through everybody probably and see at some point they got that confidence that they needed. So with a guy like Kona, you know, to me, it's like if you could have thrown him up on the road shows and thrown him in there with some good guys who could lead him and get him that confidence, it would have helped him a lot um, and maybe broken him a little bit more out of his shell. Um, but back to, back to your question, Nick, um, uh, all, all of my NXT people, uh, next weekend I'm wrestling Chris Bay, um, nice. in, 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 uh, or, uh, Washington. And then, uh, uh, the following weekend I'm wrestling Cole Cabana in New Jersey, uh-huh. which is a match that I didn't know I needed to have, you yeah. know, until I saw it advertised. I was like, oh, that's cool. We can do some cool stuff. You know, I don't even know what we'll do, but I know our styles are very similar and we'll be able to do some, uh, make some magic together and do some different stuff, you know. Is that so, for, uh, oops, sorry. Oh, I'm sorry, go ahead. Is that for uh, GCW, the one with uh, Colt? No, it's for um, WrestlePro in, in okay. New Jersey. So, yeah. Because I saw yeah. one of those videos, uh, it went viral. You're doing the worm. And uh-huh. I think it was Atlantic City against Joey Janela. Yeah. Dude, the crowd went nuts. And speaking yeah. like you guys were talking about, the connection with the audience. How did that feel, you know, going, you know, leaving WWE, now wrestling in the independent circuit, and you still get that kind of pop, man? That's awesome. Yeah, so, so I honestly didn't know what my reaction was going to be there. That was my yeah. first match back, January 1st, with Janela. And um, I wasn't in ring shape. I wasn't supposed to have my first match until three weeks later. But GCW, it went from being a surprise appearance with lights out, lights back on, hit a bulldog, hit a worm on somebody to, hey, we think we get more out of it advertising you for a match with Joey Janela. So I was like, all right, so I'm, I'm trusting you guys. It's your audience. You know what's best, right? But, but as far as being in ring shape, I was nowhere near ready. And I remember um, uh, years ago, but probably 2008, right after I left WWE, I did a Ring of Honor show in L.A. It was me against Larry Zbysko with Johnny Fairplay as oh, the wow. referee. And they booed me out of the building, wow. you know, because I was the WWE guy and I was the anti- ring of honor type of guy you know so i was like i didn't think at this point that that would be the reaction with gcw but i also didn't know i still had that ring of honor thing in the back of my head so when the music hit and i came out and dude they went crazy with just the reaction and the chance i literally started to get emotional in the crowd in the corner you can see it like uh they, just, they started some chant that I'd never heard before, like Scotty Tuhati chant. And, uh, and that's it's, it's how it's been everywhere I've gone. I keep saying, like, this run is something different, like I've never experienced before. You know, I was on the independence for nine years after I left WWE in 2007. And, 
this time coming back, it's almost like there's this really super cool nostalgia thing happening that I didn't know was going to happen. Um, but then when I stop and think of it, I go, okay, a kid who was 10 years old in 2000, when we danced in the Royal Rumble, is now 32 years old and has kids of his own. Um, and, it, and I've had it happen where, you know, and, and then they, they, you know, they come up to me, you know, at the meet and greet and they, you know, like, they introduced me to their kids and it's, it's, or, or, you know, a girl come up to me and say, I was a little girl. My grandmother used to take me to wrestling and, you know, she passed away. And like, I'm like, don't, don't even start because I don't know if this is old age thing or just this really cool time I'm going through in my life or like, I'll literally start crying at times, yeah. you know, and, and I've done it in my seminars where I'm talking about um, Raquel and Rhea and seeing them, you know, come into my class. And like what I just said, you, guys whereas it's like i see them get the confidence and the chris this is cool you like this i think uh the very last segment that i produced for nxt was the wrestlemania on sale show for for this past wrestlemania in dallas you know we would do what four or five matches at the on the day the tickets go on yeah. sale on the field and it's a free show um and, you know, then they'll have some SmackDown and, and Raw Superstars there to cut promos. Undertaker's there. Steph was there, you know, and um, um, Big E was there. Um, but then we did, you know, five matches. The very last match was Raquel versus Dakota. Um, and the finish was Raquel makes her come back. Dakota rolls out of the ring like she's going to leave. She starts backpedaling up the ramp. We hit Rhea Ripley music. Boom. Rhea comes yeah. up with the ramp. Dakota turns, sees her. She starts backpedaling down the ramp. There's, there's Raquel. Throws her back in. They go into their finish. One, two, three. So after all that stuff I went through with those two ladies, the very last segment is the two of those, Raquel and Rhea, standing tall in the middle of Dallas Cowboys Stadium. You know, it wasn't empty, but it was still a WWE show in, yeah. in Dallas Stadium for WrestleMania. Um, and it's just the two of them celebrating as we close the show. And that was my very last thing that I did. So, I, and I texted him the day I left there. I go, hey, is this is if this is the last thing I ever do with WWE, it's a perfect ending to my time there. You know, that's that's so awesome to hear. And like, you know, uh, you know, talking about like NXT moments, like, I, you know, obviously, like, yeah, it's we have so much i'm having so much fun talking and i think nick is too like not to speak for you but like uh you know uh we don't want to take up too much of your time like looking back at nxt like that could take forever yeah one moment like you, you brought up Rhea. one moment that like really was like one of the cooler times of my time with the company was like when Rhea came to face shayna that first time and it was supposed to be a like a one-off, like just like a TV attraction. And then like the audience was just so hot for it where, yeah. you know, full sale, like you get 250 people in there. But sometimes it sounds like 250, 250, but this sounded like, you know, this sounded like the garden. Like it was so yeah. hot. And like, I guess from your perspective, like it, it kind of made it where like, you know, Shana was on this big run and like, oh, this was the perfect way to transition to like bring Rhea in and kind of build this new star and she became white hot. As yeah. somebody who was like so close to her, what was that experience like for you to see her kind of come, supposed to be a one-off and then become this like hot, white hot act? 
yeah, it was so awesome to see, you know, and I, and I, and I knew, you know, she was pretty down when she came into my class and her confidence was down and just to see her grow and go out there and do that. And then, so you're not talking about when she won the, the, the NXT women's. No. So there was like a time. So the taping before that, uh, she came in and it was supposed to be a one-off. And I think the match ended in like with Shayna either getting DQ'd or by countout, yeah. which led, I think, to either my memory is a little fuzzy on it, but either then like doing the rematch in the next one or like building to it. Um, and then like you kind of have like all the like you kind of have that like Lex Luger 98 moment where like the whole locker room everybody was in there. Yeah. yeah. So I went that one I, I, I remember vividly. I went out, I went out into the arena to watch it. And I was up on this the stand with the sound guys and everything. And and uh, you know, and everybody came down, they were lifting her up and like and same thing. I remember like I, I like getting emotional and I have a tear running down my face. I'm like, oh, I hope nobody sees me. And I look over and there's Canyon Seaman who hired her. Um, when she was basically a teenager, I believe. Right. Um, yeah. And he's doing the same thing, you know? So it was like, that, and that was the thing, like NXT dude, it was so different. It was so genuine It's genuine, genuine and as pure as the wrestling business can get, I believe was NXT. It was still the wrestling business, you know, but it was, yeah. it was still this genuine and, and, and just very passionate environment. And it was a team. You know, it was a team. We traveled on a bus together. We flew together. We stayed together. Yeah. We ate together. Um, and I tell you, like the, those, I, I was the main producer on those uh, the NXT road shows for about the last year or so. It was always me and somebody else. You know, Bloom made me the main. That was my my main thing, and uh, I really enjoyed that. And I loved going out and seeing seeing people who had never worked outside of Florida. Um, on an NXT show, get out there and get in front of a real a hot audience, you know, going to Pittsburgh or Cleveland or Cincinnati, you know, wherever it was that they don't normally, you know, we, we go to, we'd be in, um, you know, Lakeland, you know, once a month or, you know, Sebring once a month or Venice once a month. So they would kind of get used to you, you know, and, and you don't, and you kind of lose that genuine reaction because they are they're seeing you so much whereas if you go to some of these towns that they don't ever see you um it gets even hotter and, and the numbers are, are higher you know you get you know down, down in florida we're doing probably three to five hundred people you get out on the road shows you're doing a couple thousand some nights so it was um it was fun to be a part of yeah yeah it um and re is such a great example of like nxt developmental like you can always tell like you know she has the look of a star and like you know her her size like she's this very powerful strong woman and like you know she's different than everyone else and like giving her an opportunity to find her voice like when i was i was like when she was like before that run like i was always trying to get her to the main roster like one time i even pitched like trying to do a carmella Rhea thing and similar to Sean and Diesel um, just because it felt like, you know, having Carmella be the mouthpiece as like Rhea learned on the road. But like, you know, from like that, that was like six months before that run that we're talking about now. And like, she was a completely different performer in those six months. And like, she grew in such a main way. And that's like having those classes being there every day and like doing that, like what, I guess, 
to people who are kind of outside of it, like what is an NXT class like exactly? There's no real formula to it. Um, usually, usually what I do is give them, uh, it would be two hour class. Um, I think when I first went, there was three hours. I got cut back to two hours. I give them the first half an hour, half hour or so to roll, stretch, whatever. Um, and it would depend on the level of the class, what we worked on. And so similar to my seminars, a lot of times I will kind of plan something that I want to do, but it will take on a life of its own. And we'll go, okay, well, we're not going to do the matches we planned on doing. We're going to work on punches or kicks or heat drills or um, – and the biggest thing for me was to make it fun for them, to make it fun and to build a connection with between me and the talent. Um, Cause they already, some of them would come up with almost, almost a wall up, you know, because they've already come into this system where there's eight different coaches or nine coaches and, you know, everybody's telling you different things and no different than wrestling's ever been. Cause when I went to WWF, you know, it was, it was producers or, or agents then, and everybody's telling you different things and you're thinking, okay, who do I listen to? Whose feelings do I hurt by not doing what they told me to do? And, you know, it's all that part of that, the, the game of what we do, yeah. um, the mental game. Um, so it was building a relationship with them. And it was, was, was a big thing for me, which I didn't realize going into it was, would, would be part of my job, you know, um, getting them to trust you and that, that they're, that they're in, you're in their best interest. You know, and you're, you're genuinely trying to help them, you know. Um, so it would be, you know, we would work on whatever. Some days we would just do matches and we would watch, we'd do the match. And then we would, I mean, sometimes I just record it on a cell phone or an iPad and then we'd watch it back immediately and kind of critique it and get everybody else's input on it. And, and then, and then maybe we'd do the same match the next day and let them implement those critiques and, and, and try to fix what we talked about. You know, so it's never really a real formula to it. I, I kind of like to go in and, you know, we would have, it's funny, we, they would bring in all these different professional people from the outside and telling you how you should coach and how you do this. And, and you know, you should have a game plan, a written out plan for the week. And dude, you know how it is there. You get yeah. there. You don't know who's going to be there. Who medically medically is going to be cleared? Who's going to be over and talking to the acting coach? Who's over talking to this other coach? Who's talking to this? You know, they have all these different things they're bringing in there, and and yeah. you never. It's hard to plan out. So most of the time, it would just kind of be almost like you know winging it for lack of a better word, but just making them best the most out of that two hours and trying to make it fun for them and get get the the light bulb to to go on and click and. You know, and, and sometimes it would just be drills like we talked about earlier is getting them to slow down. All right. So turn it up right here and, you know, beat them down in the corner, but then just step back and show me something personal, personality wise. Give me something. Just give me a moment there where they can react, you know, um, stuff like that, you know. Um, and that's something I'll say in my seminars, too, is like. Um, and I always use. 10 year old little Jocelyn, 10 year old little Johnny. That's the, that's who we're playing to. We're not worried about the 45 year old guy who's writing the reports on Twitter. We're worried about 10 year old <laughs> coming to his first wrestling show um, ever. And he's going to see 20 to 30 wrestlers. He's going to see two referees, a ring announcer, a manager, it, it, all of these different personalities. How are you going to give little Johnny something to remember you by and describe you by when he goes home at the end of the show? 
you want to give him one thing. And that's what I'm like, think of one thing that's going to make you different than everybody else on this show. And I can't think of that for you. You have to come up with something different that he can go, oh, that's the guy that does the worm. That's the guy that does the stink face. That's the guy that does whatever it is. Just uh, it could be something you say, something you wear. It's probably now I said like it's probably not going to be your name because if you win, they'll hear your name twice. If you lose, they hear your name once on the entrance. So it's not going to be your name that they remember. Give them something else to remember you by. You know, it could be a simple you stop and you have a moment with a kid and you take his arm and you give him a high five or you know, whatever it is. It's you know, it sounds silly, but it's all these little things that make you different than everybody else otherwise it's just a bunch of moves one thing like i haven't really heard people talk about that i think you have a good understanding of better than most people is you know the pandemic covid i feel that has had a massive impact on nxt just from more so than people even realize people even talk about just because from a every wrestler's development because people weren't able to actually get in the ring and work for a very long time. And I don't think people realize that. And, and I guess still like, not. yeah. Or and, in, I mean, in front of a live audience. Yeah. Or in front of a live audience or even like, just like there was a period, like when uh, the, the heat of it, where you couldn't have class. Right. Um, right. And like, I guess just like from your perspective, what was that like to go through and how frustrating was that for you? And like, uh, do you think that set wrestlers back like a month or a year or, or just like, Oh yeah, oh, for sure. Cause it's not, it's not, I mean, even now, like what I just said, like, like so much of the art of this is performing in front of a crowd. Like I think we've learned through the pandemic, how important the audience is in pro wrestling when they're not there, you know, from all of the shows we were doing for Ross Smackdown NXT, you're doing shows with no fans. Like you realize how important they are. So now these, these, you know, these, these people are being taught from the ground up and they're just learning in a cold warehouse, you know, in front of their peers, basically, which is, can be the toughest crowd, but it's not, it's also not a genuine crowd. You're not getting genuine reactions. You're getting peers reactions. Um, but yeah, no, I mean, I don't know how to put a time on it, how far it set them back, but I would say, you know, year, you know, at least a year, you know, just, I mean, we were, we, when we were coming, first coming out of it, we find, I remember we finally felt like we just got back into the swing of it. And then like three people in the class, in my class tested positive that day. So it shut everything down in my class for the, whatever the time period was, 10 days, two weeks, you know, I think it was like two weeks when we first, when it first, you know, somebody's tested positive, you had to isolate for two weeks. So it would, then you would almost have to reset and start, start back from scratch again and, and just, you know, trying to make the best of it. But it was, it's a crazy, crazy time. It was yeah. and anybody who worked through that time, um, you know, the Drew McIntyres, those guys that were working and trying to get over um, on live television um, with no audience. Those guys deserve huge amounts of credit. It was. It was I don't know how I would do it, honestly. Yeah. Like, I so much of what I do, Chris, is crowd, like playing with the audience and, and reactions. And like, how do, how do I do what I do without an audience? 
you know yeah it's tough like if those like those shows weren't were sometimes like awkward or you you tried to figure out ways to be creative to push them and use it as an advantage but like we started doing a lot more stuff backstage i think like one benefit of those shows is like when you're doing the double tapings you can like tell two weeks of stories without having anything be blown up right um but but yeah it was rough but it was like also like if we didn't do them like who knows where the company is today Right, right. Um, so you're trying to keep the lights on um, to kind of like speed through this so we don't take up too much more of your time. You're talking about Raquel, who is awesome. Um, obviously, just getting to SmackDown. Uh, how would you book her and what do you think her, her strengths are? Man, I think she's, um, she's a tough girl who's a big girl. Like, so to me, like, she needs to just come in and dominate dominate like we haven't really seen a woman do that where they just come in and almost not goldberger but to that you know like build her up it just feels like everybody is so almost 50 50 now like yeah. let's see her come in and dominate for a while because she is she's a big tall girl who's great shape and very physical so let her be that you know um and see what happens you know yeah, I think if you, I think those segments can be very entertaining. And I think like with, when you kind of look at like when Braun broke off from the Wyatts and like, you know, like you're in Golden State and you have like a tag team he's going against called the Splash Brothers or like, you know, Naya kind of, um, Naya kind of like her, the way she kind of came in and you have those entertaining segments. There's ways to build character and show dominance, which she already has like such a great personality too. Like, right. It, like you don't have to worry about bringing that out. You just have to put her in a position to show it. To do it. Right. Yeah. Right. You know, and you've got, you've got, you know, so many, you know, um, baby face girls, like they can go out there and they can do it and they can fight from underneath and she can, you know, you can make them at the same time, you know, just yeah. because you're not going over, doesn't mean you don't get over, you know? Like, yeah. Yeah. I think a good example of that when I started at the company, was like, the Braun and Sammy story. Uh-huh. Like Sammy, you know, Sammy like was always entertaining, was always in, and, and I think people like he's such a damn good heel now. Like I think he, I kind of feel like he's the modern Roddy Piper, but like he like was such an amazing baby face and like he really got over as much as Braun did in that story. Mm-hmm. And like obviously, you know, McFoley was helping with that too, but like. The, like it was such a great partnership of like you were able to build two people at once in such an amazing way yeah um and then i guess final question for you is uh kind of a two-parter do you have like a one one moment from the attitude era that's your favorite and one nxt moment that's your favorite oh man uh for me personally that i was involved in or yeah um Attitude era. I always have to go to the Royal Rumble, uh, dancing Rikishi and Brian, you know, in the middle of the Rumble. And it, it, I talk about it a lot these days, just because you know, doing interviews and, and you know, even in the seminars, people ask me um, about my favorite moment. And and it's something that when we did it, we thought it was, you know, I think we knew it was cool, but we didn't realize that 22 years later, people would still be talking about it. And, yeah. you know, I wish I remembered more about the day. I remember Pat Patterson 
I remember Rikishi and I were standing in the locker room in Madison Square Garden and we were looking at the sheet on the wall. And I remember Pat coming up to us and kind of giving us the outline of what they wanted. Um, but other than that, I don't remember a lot about it, you know, and it's just like, it's the crazy part about that. And I didn't even realize this till recently when I started talking about it more was Rikishi and Too Cool, and Too cool didn't become a thing until December of 99. You know, Brian and I had been too cool from like October till December. And then Rikishi came out, saved us, made a save. We did the dance. Now the Royal Rumble was only a month later and it was red hot. Like, dude, like, I mean, watching that now is going, how is that? How is that even my life? How is that? Madison Square Garden, which is a hard crowd to win over. In the first place, I remember being, you know, young when I first signed and going there and wrestling, you know, Aldo Montoya and, you know, uh-huh. Savio Vega and the headbangers. And it just, they, they would boo me. I was a baby face and it booing, booing me out of the, the, the building, you know, and, ja, you know, and yelling, yeah, jobber. And, you know, <laughs> like, so, you you know, when you, you at that point in your career, you hate going there. So to see what happened during the two cool run. And to feel so loved by that audience was just insane. And to think it was only a month after it all started is just crazy. Just crazy, you know? Yeah. And back to you never know what's going to work, right? Um, I remember when they, Michael Hayes said, hey, you know, Rikishi's going to come down and, you know, he's going to make the save. And then you guys do a dance. And, you know, he's wearing this thong. And uh, you go, you know, at the time, and I still sometimes go, was that a rib? You know, was it a rib that got over? you know and it backfired on them like so it just seemed so crazy um and on paper you go this will never work kind of like the worm i said that was about the worm on paper if i sat down and presented the worm okay i'm going to hit this awful looking bulldog uh, the i call it the world's worst looking bulldog you know and then i'm going to stand over the guy and and, and, and i'm going to get this crazy look on my face i'm going to run in place for 10 seconds and then i'm going to hop to the other side of the ring and the crowd's going to chant w-o-r-m as i do it then i'm going to do this whole break dancing move where i worm across the ring and then i'm going to go who 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 and the crowd's going to follow along only for me to deliver a chop to the chest after all that work like you couldn't present that to somebody and get a thumbs up on it. You know, if somebody had given that to me, I would go, don't ever do this. It sounds awful. And it was awful, you know, but that's what made it was the buildup, all of that buildup and all of the theatrics that went behind that and the, and the crowd chanting W O R M and the who, 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 it made them part of the show. Um, and it just worked at the time, you know, and, uh, uh, so that's why I say don't ever be afraid to uh, try something. But as far as my favorite, um, uh, so, so I'll say that that moment for me, and then also the 10-man tag that we did on Raw. with oh, uh, That was Dallas, right? Yeah, Dallas. So that was Ron, one of the hottest crowds I ever crazy. remember. Yeah, again, the crazy, you know, the, the crowd is what made that. Uh, me, Brian, Rikishi, Rock, and uh, Cactus with Hunter, X-Pac, Benoit Malenko and um, and uh, uh, Benoit Malenko and Perry, and then Eddie's on the outside. Steph was on the outside. Tori's on the outside. Wow. Billy and Road Dog do a yeah. run in at the end. But then here comes Kane returning with Paul Barra at the end. Like probably twenty people involved in that segment, <laughs> um, and it was just magic. 
you know, yeah. for some 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 reason it all just it, it, it all just fell into place and was magic. But um, as far as NXT, man, um, I don't know. I probably have to say that segment in you know, my final segment with Raquel and Rhea. But there were there was a lot of cool things, a lot of cool stuff we did in the road shows. You know, yeah. where um, I remember we were in Lowell um, and we had. Uh, the War Raiders are on the show with, you know, Johnny Hansen is from from uh, the area. We had Dijak. Was from the, yeah, we had Dijak. We had um, Champa and we had Oni Lorcan. So what we did is, I think it was, um, I don't know, I'll just say it was it was Champa and, and uh, maybe Cole in the main event. So you had all of Undisputed Era up there and they come out and they do the damage to Champa after the finish, you know, and they leave him laying and, and they go to leave and as he goes up the ramp, boom, we hit Oni Lorkin's music. Oni steps through the curtain. Now you have, here comes Oni and Danny. And then now, now Undisputed Air is backpedaling down the ramp. They jump over the barricade. They try to go out a side door. Boom, there's War Raiders music. They come through a side door in the arena. So they jump over the other side, other, other barricade on the other side of the ring. And then, boom, there's Dijak's music. He comes through that. So you have all these New England guys on NXT show. Yeah, that's you know that's the fun of what of being a live event producer and, and you know putting that all together and, and making it work and and creating cool moments as a as a producer like is what you know what you try to do as a wrestler you know. Um, I'll I'll tell a quick thirty second story before we go uh, because you reminded me of something. So that match the uh, the ten man in in Dallas was always has always stuck to me in such a big way. Um, I was on primarily on SmackDown at the time and team hell no had come back. And the week before uh, Daniel and, and Kane worked a, a match against the Usos on TV. So based on that 10 man, I, I pitched get getting to trying to put new day Kane and Daniel together um, yeah. against Sandy. And I forget who the other heels were, but uh, you know, I pitched it once and you try not to over pitch things. Like if you get like a no, like you have to be really passionate about going back to it. Um, and when you're doing it 52 weeks a year, like you don't really like, you have to really love something to die on a hill for it. This wasn't that, but like, we were still looking for a main event. And I was just like, man, like it really just feels like this is the match. Like this is like, this is a once in a lifetime thing. Kane's in the ring last week. We can protect Kane with the four other guys. And everyone loved it. I, I then got on a plane uh, to go to NXT and I got an email from, from road dog was like, Hey, Chris, thank you. Like that. This main event's going to be awesome. Thank you. So pumped up. I'm feeling really great. Um, and, you know, Kane and Brian are on the poster for extreme rules. And uh, of course in the match, Kane gets hurt. So, like, and, and then like uh, I got known for the next like two months as you do in wrestling as like the person that killed Kane. So, right. <laughs> but it all goes back to that match. Cause like, uh, so just thank you for that memory. It's just such a, I, as a, as a, a wrestling fan, it, it's one of like my top five things ever like watching on TV. Oh, thanks, man. It was, it was, you know, it was, it was again like putting it together. We had no idea the magic that was going to come out of that, and you know, um, the longevity that it would have, and still be talking about it this many years later. So it was, it was cool to be a part of. In the characters, I mean, God, like you're talking yeah. about, 
you know, Rock and Cactus and Eddie and, you know, Hunter and uh, all these, you know, greats were in that, you know, in that, in that one match and yeah. it was just, and Kane, you know, Kane and Paul Bearer. So um, it was, it was a cool thing to be a part of, you know. So awesome. Scott, thanks again for yes, coming sir. on and supporting such an amazing cause. I say it time in and time out. It's really cool to meet you. It's really cool to meet guys and talk to, you know, about wrestling. It's something we all love, but it's important for you to come on so we can make awareness for such an amazing cause. So I appreciate it so much. Thank you. Thank you, Nick. Thank thanks, you, Craig. Craig, man. Thank you, guys. Thank you for listening to another edition of the Universal Wrestling Podcast. Check us out on the web at uwpod.com. You've got mail. Or send us an email. We really don't know what we're dealing with here, man. Info at uwpod.com. Universal Wrestling Podcast. Nobody does it better.